Today's sponsor is Headspace. You slept every night of your life, so you should be pretty good at it by now, right? Unfortunately, many of us don't get the quality sleep that we need and could use a little bit of help, and that's where Headspace has got you covered. It's your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. And while they have meditations devoted to helping you reduce stress and increase your overall sense of well-being, they have an entire library of sleep stories, sleep music, and other sleep sounds that can help you get the quality sleep you desperately need. And for busy lifestyles, they have what's called wind downs. It's meditations and breathing exercises that are as short as three minutes so they can fit into anybody's schedule. I personally use Headspace myself. I've tried out some of the sleep stuff. It actually works. Like to me, it actually makes a difference. So Headspace, it's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews. That's a lot. And over 60 million downloads. Try it today for free and start sleeping soundly. So right now, our listeners get 30% off Headspace's entire library of meditations. Just go to headspace.com slash sleep pod for 30% off your subscription, but only until May 12th. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash sleep pod today. Have you ever heard advice from somebody and you listen to it and you're just like, well, of course, like that makes total sense. That's kind of obvious. And then you start thinking about it and you're like, whoa, actually, I'm not even doing the obvious because I'm either trying to make it more complicated or, oh, nobody's really ever put it that way. And when I recorded this episode that you're about to listen to with Katie Kimball, who was a student of mine in my accelerator program, she's actually started her journey around the same time that I did. And when I started to hear the kinds of things that she did to pivot, to make medium slash risky decisions in her business, to move her business forward, I was just like, wow, this is gonna be so helpful for so many people. So if you're listening to this and you are somebody who has been looking for some tried and true advice that does work to help you grow your business, to expand your brand, especially here in the early parts of 2021, whether you're just starting out or you are making a pivot in your brand, this is the episode for you. Katie Kimball from kidscookrealfood.com and Kitchen Stewardship on with us today. Let's cue the intro. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, he gets his best ideas in the shower, Pat Flynn. What's up and welcome to session 457 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. My name is Pat Flynn, here to help you make more money, save more time, and help more people too. And I'm so grateful that Katie was able to come on the podcast today because as a student of mine, I got to see her progress so, so much in 2020, make some very smart and a little bit risky business decisions that worked out really well. Plus, she's an amazing storyteller too, so I'm really, really excited for you to hear Katie. So let's not wait any further. Like I said in the beginning, some really good advice that may seem obvious on the outside, but then you start thinking about it and you're like, wow, I should be doing more of that. That's what you're about to hear. So here she is, Katie Kimball. Katie, welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here. Pat, it's a pleasure. Always a pleasure to see you. You too. And I'm excited because we're early here in 2021 now by the time people are listening to this. Of course, we're recording this before the new year. A lot has happened within the last year for many people. And I know you especially have made a lot of big and small decisions with relation to your business and where you want to go, especially from this point forward. And I want to unpack 
all those things, a lot of those big decisions, which are often tough to make. But before that, I do want to uncover a little bit about your origin story. How did you get started with doing business? Were you the type of child who was just kind of always interested in entrepreneurship or when, when did it really pick up for you? You know, that's actually funny. And it's funny we're talking about decisions because I always say I'm a terrible decision maker. I hate making decisions <laughs> more than anything. So that's not actually a great trait for an entrepreneur, but I've, I've taken that weakness and sort of honed it into a strength. I was a bit entrepreneurial as a kid. I don't have to think about that very often, but I used to sell painted rocks to everyone in the neighborhood. I used to sell bows that I had cut out of paper and meticulously colored. You should have seen them, Pat. They were <laughs> amazing for 25 cents, a bow made out of paper, not folded. No, just two-dimensional. I can imagine. Them. Yeah, yeah. So I had a great entrepreneurial spirit, but not a whole lot of talent behind it. My dad is actually an entrepreneur. He owned a car dealership. So I started working there in seventh grade. But my whole life, I never thought of myself as a salesperson or an entrepreneur. I always wanted to be a teacher. Just, I mean, from back in kindergarten, my poor, my poor brother's three years younger than me, and I would force him to play school. I was a super mean teacher. <laughs> Luckily, I grew out of that. <laughs> And I did. I mean, I did become a teacher. It was just, it was the path. It never strayed from it. I only taught for two years, though, in a third grade classroom before I had my first child. And I knew that as a perfectionist, I couldn't be a great teacher and a great mom at the same so time. You chose to go the parent route and put aside your, your teacher hat for a while. But now I know you because you've been a student of mine for a while. You are a teacher and you teach a lot of people a lot of things, especially kids now, how to cook. How did you start getting online and start putting a lot of this information and kind of going back to teacher, but in a different way? Yeah, I mean, you can take the teacher out of the classroom, but you can't take the heart of the teacher out of me, at least. And so for me, my journey started with that first child. And it was a real wake up call for me on food and health. And just, you know, I was, I completely did like hamburger helper, cereal, pasta eating as a young wife. But having the baby was like, oh my gosh, every single bite counts so much more. His body's so tiny. Like I, I need to apply my academic brain and learn more about nutrition. So I was spending a lot more time at the cutting board, chopping and making mistakes and burning things and, you know, messing up the kitchen all the time. But my teacher brain was always going with all that time there. And I was always thinking about how I could teach other people, like how to find the balance. Because when I was talking with mom friends of mine, a lot of us had the same problems. We're feeling like everything takes more time or everything takes more money or it's harmful to the environment or how do we, you know, how do we balance all of those pieces? And so my brain was, you know, churning and finding those habits and techniques that sort of fell in the middle. And a phrase came to mind, kitchen stewardship. How can we be stewards of our budget, stewards of the earth, stewards of our time and stewards of our family's health all at the same time. And so I thought, I'll write a book. I'm, I'm an English major. This is gonna be great. I'll write a book and I'll make a little extra money because when I left teaching, I mean, I was only 25. That wasn't very good for our very, very small bottom line. It actually turned us into the red. And so I thought, well, I'll write a book to make money, which is really funny because I had no idea that writing a book is a really slow, terrible, poor way to make money. <laughs> Right. Um, luckily, I implemented one of my strengths, right? Weakness is decision-making, but one of my strengths is just like asking questions. I ask questions all the time. I'm like never afraid to ask someone a question, even if I probably shouldn't and it's totally not my place. So I emailed the editor of a magazine I read. I said, hey, I'm thinking about writing a book. What do you think I should do? Like, why would I do that? <laughs> that makes no sense. He had no time for me, but he took a little bit of time and he just said, eh, you know, you might want to think about starting a blog to see if there's any sort of audience for your idea. This is fall 2008. 
And I had no clue what a blog was, had never heard of one in my life. And I, you know, thinking back, it's amazing because I've never had contact with that man again, nor before. And what a trajectory change that has caused in my life because now this blog that I started three months later has become our family's primary income and this passion and mission in my life to teach people, adults to cook and connect families around healthy food. And now teaching kids to cook is a whole a whole new thing. So kind of wild. That's incredible. I mean, big thanks to that person who had taken just a little bit of time to respond and give you some really sound advice at the time. And obviously it was validated and it's provided so much for you and your family and your future. But it was also because you stepped up and were able to ask a question. And I think that is going to likely be a running theme here in today's conversation, just you not really knowing exactly what to do, but doing what you could do to figure it out and asking mm-hmm. questions. And that's such good advice. I mean, I think that a lot of us are just so afraid to ask questions. What what advice might you give somebody who's just like, oh, I don't want to be perceived as somebody who maybe doesn't know as much as I should, or I don't want to bother anybody? Like, how might you respond to somebody who's perhaps thinking that way? Yeah, I'm all about balance. That's what I'm known for at Kitchen Stewardship. And I think there's balance here too. And I would say, ask all the questions of all the people, but at the same time, be generous. You know, you're not you're not wearing the surfer shirt today, Pat, but I've seen it before. And I know that you like to talk about being generous. And so I'm I'm always generous with my own advice in a mastermind or if someone approaches me, you know, politely in the right way. So I just feel like there's there's no reason not to ask. The worst thing that can happen is someone says no. But I mean, we teach our kids to advocate. We say advocate for yourself. We tell our five-year-old, we use a big old word, advocate. You know, and just if you if you need something or if you can clarify something, I think that's another really it's another point where I like to ask questions, especially with that making decisions weakness. <laughs> when, mm-hmm. I, when I have a decision to make, I'm like, well, I'm not sure what to do. I'll ask some more questions and just try to like define what the best answer is going to be. I love that. Thank you for that advice. I think that's going to help a lot of people on kitchen stewardship. Tell us a little bit about how the blog started out and what that was like and sort of what was going through your head. What was your daily routine at that point? (laughs) Routine. That's a funny word. I didn't have a routine (laughs) at all. (laughs) So we won't talk about that. That is not a Um, But (laughs) What did you do? (laughs) Right. One thing I did is I just came out of the gates running for sure. And I think unlike most bloggers at the time, people were very hobby blogging. They were talking about their life. And I definitely did that. But I also ironically had a structure, even though I'm not a real structured person. I had every Monday, I had a Monday mission, which was one small step you could take to improve your health or nutrition or care for the environment. Every Wednesday, I posted a mental mission. And this was just me, again, understanding one of my weaknesses is that if I read something for the first time, I don't jump in right away. I'm not a quick mover. I'm a medium speed mover, which will be another theme of our conversation here. Because you know, moving at medium speed sometimes prevents you crashing into a wall at high speed. So I like being a medium speed mover. But for me, the mental mission was, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the next Monday mission. Maybe I'll tell you something to put on your grocery list, something you should collect, and just start thinking about how this might integrate into your life, how this new habit or technique might integrate in. And so I I was just assuming that other people were just like me, right? (laughs) Not everyone is, but a lot of people were. So I became really well known for grace in the baby steps and this, this idea of like just making one simple change per week and forgiving yourself when you mess up. I love that. How soon did the blog grow or how quickly did it grow? Tell us a little bit about the numbers and just to give us some perspective on how soon it started to take off and, and to what degree. 
Sure. So this is 2009, to give perspective for those who are blogging, totally different blog landscape than it is now. And I, I can remember two milestones from that year. One was somewhere midsummer, like July start in February. So about at the six month mark, I installed a plugin that showed what my real feed reader, feed burner reader readers were. Feed burner, remember yes. feed burner? That's a thing, right? Yep. It had a <laughs> counter, right? So you installed the counter that showed you how many subs you had? Well, I had a counter, but it wasn't like collecting everyone. So I thought I had like 100 readers and I actually had in the neighborhood of 500. And so it was like almost midnight and I installed it and like, oh my goodness. And I came bounding into the bedroom and yelled to my husband like, Chris, I have over 500 people reading me. Can you imagine a room with 500 people listening to your wife talk? Like, this is amazing. And that's so funny now because now I'm like, oh, only 500 people signed up for my webinar or whatever, you know, like that's not yeah, a yeah. number anymore. But at the time that felt humongous. And then in the fall of that same year, I actually guest posted at ProBlogger, which was another like random Twitter conversation reaching out, telling him what mm. I was doing. And I had hit my thousand readers at that point. So I wrote a terrible guest post with <laughs> pictures that were illegal to use. And Darren Rouse had oh, to no. teach me about that. <laughs> um, Copyright images. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So see, but I learned, I just jumped in. I didn't care. I was willing to mess up. I was willing to write all through Thanksgiving weekend, which is probably not the best advice to you know give because that's burnout waiting to happen. But I just, I thought this, I can do this. Of course I can do this. I'm a writer. <laughs> Big shout out to Darren Rouse, who was very influential to me as well. He invited me on his podcast when it was brand new. Aww. Kind of around the same time, actually. A lot of your timeline matches my timeline. I know, I know you weren't laid off. You had a child, but I mean, life changes for sure around the same time. And then, you know, with Darren in there as well, he was a big influence on me. He taught me a lot about blogging. I may have read your guest post. I don't know. I don't know if I would have remembered it, but maybe not because you said it was terrible. But anyway, let's, let's keep this story going. So Kitchen Stewardship, it's starting to gain some ground and you're starting to get a lot of readers. Had you started making money yet at this point? Like, that's one thing to have readers in a blog and have traffic, but it's another to obviously start, you know, generating an income from something like this. Yes, I had a lot of happy feelings, but not a lot of dollars in the bank at that point. <laughs> um, I was grateful for every, you know, AdSense dollar that I got. But really, again, the first sort of eye-opening moment on that journey was right about my year anniversary. I was very much networked in this real food and natural living sort of niche. There were lots of us bloggers talking about the same thing. And we, you know, we connected a lot, which was awesome. And one of my, one of my new blogging friends, who's still a dear friend, I've never met her in real life, which I love this world we live in, decided to launch an e-course 2010. So this is very, very early. You know, it, she was, she was avant-garde at the time. And I thought, why would anyone seriously pay for information about cooking online. There's so much information online. Again, irony, because that was 2010. Here we are 10, 11 years later, and there's, oh my gosh, so much information, right? Millions online courses are everywhere, plus YouTube. And yeah, you're right. Yeah, paid and free. But I thought at that time, I thought no one is going to pay for this. This is ridiculous. I think the price point was probably $120 for a year of her classes. And of course she had an affiliate program. I thought, oh, she's my friend. I'll, I'll share this with my audience, you know, in a blog mm -hmm. post because who had an email list at that time? <laughs> you just right. blogged. And, um, and I sold 10 of them, right? So 10 mm. times 60 is $600. That was, that was as much as I made in a month 
teaching between my first and second child, I just taught six hours a week. That was more than I had made in a month of teaching and the light bulbs were starting to go off. And I could not believe that there was actual potential to make money. And then I think a month later, I believe it was Darren Rouse again, talked about, he had a post about why everyone should have a product. And I think he told the story of like listening to two street performers, one of whom had CDs for 10 bucks and one of whom had an open guitar case. And the open guitar case guy made a dollar and the guy selling CDs made $10. He said, sell the CD. You know, if people, if you have an audience, sell them something. So I thought, great. So I published my first ebook two months later. And then, you know, that year I actually made, I think, well, I made $20,000 and my first teaching job, Pat, was $24,000 salary. Wow. And my husband had lost his job. <laughs> so that was all we had trying to be real adults. I'll never forget. I mean, I, I, was, I couldn't wait to be an adult. I wanted to be an adult when I was 12. And here I am trying to get my first apartment, sitting in the office, looking at the apartment manager saying, um, would, you, would you accept a parent cosign? Mm. Right? Wow. I, oh, I've never felt so humble and awful and little in my life because neither of us had a job, even though my husband had, as part of his engagement proposal, had said, I got my first job. I'm going to take care of you. And six months later, his boss was arrested by the FBI for white collar crime. And the whole company fell apart in one day. Jeez. You can't make that up. I mean, I, I, I don't, it just sounds like straight out of a movie or something, but that's kind of insane. And it just shows you like you can have what you think is a secure job. And, and I thought I had one as well. And of course, with the economy and the recession in 2008, I got let go with your husband. FBI got involved with the boss and, you know, his job was lost. And wow, thank everybody and, and all the things that have happened to have you have something that could at least keep you afloat for a while. And then, of course, and I know your story a bit, it continues to grow. You start to get more and more ground. You start to release more products and whatnot. And then there's another brand that comes into play. Yeah. Kids Cook Real Food. I want to know where did that idea come from? Why did that start? Oftentimes, we have ideas to start something new. And we either just kind of keep it under the same brand or like you, you separate it out or never act on it at all because we're already so busy. When did Kids Cook Real Food come about and why? Yeah, I'd say three events sort of collided to create that possibility. First, my income had surpassed my husband's. So when we hit that point, he he's a computer engineer, computer uh, software developer, and he worked for a banking software company. But that doesn't get you out of bed in the morning. <laughs> this is after the thing. FBI situation, right? This is like yeah. the next Yeah, job. he did get a new job. <laughs> um, I told him we couldn't get internet until he got a job. So he hit the trails. <laughs> You would like him. He's a big World of Warcraft guy back then. So I know. I'm sure we could hang out and just (laughs) cave out for a little bit and play games forever. Sure. So yes, new dive. He's a computer programmer, but he always had a little bit of the entrepreneurial, like, boy, I wish I could, you know, not have a boss and stuff. So once my income surpassed his, that was one of our medium speed decisions was to have a really big parachute for him to be able to leave and start his own business. So we, we had a baby at the end of 2014 and two months later, he left the corporate world. I swear we are risk of wow. people, but the story sounds like really exciting. There's so much boring stuff in between. <laughs> so I was able, I had time and space to do something new and big because Chris was home. Okay. Mm. Um, and we actually started off saying, well, if Katie has six months to work like 40 hour weeks focused in the office, she will get through every to-do list item she has, be completely caught up. And then Chris can start working on his business. That was a bad plan. We realized that about six weeks in because he's not made to be 
Mr. Dad 24 hours a day, and nor am I getting through my to-do list well anyway. But at that time, so my oldest, Paul, was in fourth grade, 10 years old, and he had to do a how-to speech at the end of the year. I nudged him into doing food. You know, mom does food. So he taught his class homemade guacamole. And famous moment I talk about all the time was when he took that chef's knife and thwacked the pit out of the avocado. The, all the adults in the room were like, oh, he's going to die, you know? So your and son brought a knife to school, basically. Yeah, he brought a knife to school. So I mean... A chef's I'm, knife with, with supervision. Totally, yeah. But okay. I mean, I love when my kids raise the bar on other people's... ten. Patients. 10 years old. 10, wow. <laughs> but I had, I kind of, I was proud. And then I had a moment in my head where I thought, oh my gosh, this is the only recipe he can make. As wonderful as guacamole is, probably not going to sustain him off into college. So had a little time and space to start something new. Had a little realization that maybe I'm, I'm missing teaching the most important people in my life as I'm teaching all these other people to cook. And then, you know, real food to me was so important that they continue that habit into college. And, and stories started to pile up from my readers, you know, from community conversations. People would say, Katie, I really want to get healthy, but this is so hard because I was never taught to cook. Right. And, and so I don't even know where to start in the kitchen. So I kind of thought I was kind of mulling about all that and thought, well, if we're not comfortable as a generation, we're not teaching our kids, we're not inviting them in. 20 years from now, the kids are going to be saying, oh, I really wish I could get healthy now, but I was never taught to cook. Mm -hmm. Right. It'll never end. So out of, out of my own sort of wish for my kids to have healthier life, a little bit of desperation because we now had four kids and I was running out of time to cook. I needed help. (laughs) I needed to, needed to hire some sous chefs. And just knowing that other people really needed this too, that other moms out there really needed their kids to be able to cook for the good of their health, for the good of their family. We sort of, we spent that summer putting together kids cook real food. Each of my kids invited a friend over and we co-collaborated in a way. Some of the really members' favorite parts of our class actually came out of ideas from the kids, which is really cool. That's so cool. How long has Kids Cook Real Food been around now? It's just about to turn five years old. Five years old. And how many kids do you think have been affected by the work that you do there? Well, we have 16,000 member families. Most of our families have more than two kids because we tend to attract the big families because it's made for families to use together. And then we've given away, we give away our knife skills class all the time. So we've given that away to at least 20 to 30,000 more kids. Plus, we've got teachers using it in schools with hundreds of people, hundreds of kids coming through their classroom. So at least 50, at least 50,000 kids, hopefully more. That is so cool. That is so cool. And, and now I also know that your son, now a little bit older, is now a published author. He has mm-hmm. a recipe or two and a cookbook that just came out. What's the name of that book, by the way, just so in, in case anybody's interested in that? Yeah, his book is Chef Junior. He and four other friends collaborated to write that. There's over 100 recipes in the book. So he actually has like 15 or 20. But yeah, he's a co-author. So he spent you know quarantine time in 2020 doing podcast interviews and TV spots. That's another beautiful collaboration, actually. I don't know if you know this, but the reason he knows those other kids and was able to write that book is because we were part of a family's mastermind for a number of years. Tell, tell me more about that. What is that exactly? Yeah, well, so you know, a mastermind is, you know, people get together and work on each other's businesses. And we were fortunate enough to be invited to be part of a family's mastermind where both husband and wife worked online either in separate businesses or together. And we would get together twice a year in like the biggest Airbnbs in the country (laughs) with our kids for a week at a time and just mastermind and 
network and talk and learn. So there were like 24 kids in one house. <laughs> no kidding. And that's how those kids bonded and were able to write this book. But it, you know, it just kind of comes back to the theme too of you never know which decision is the right one to say yes to because we weren't sure if we should do that. And it turned out to be really pivotal, I think, for both Chris's and my business and obviously Paul writing a book, but also the idea of human capital, right? This was not, that wasn't a paid mastermind. We just collaborated with like-minded people who wanted their families to be involved. They wanted their kids to see entrepreneurs in action and know that that's normal, right? You, you want your kids to see where you want them to be as possible, doable, and completely normal. So all our kids are like, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur now. Yeah. That's so cool. Wow. That is that is an amazing story. You had mentioned this word or these this phrase human capital a few times here. And I know this has continued to be something that's been really important to you. How has human capital played a role in this past year? Obviously, with COVID and a lot of other things have, having an impact on businesses. I know that now this is far beyond the 2008-2010 era of blogging. The online environment, the business environment has changed a little bit. How has your business had to change as a result? My team is definitely a lot bigger, which is good because I can write, but I can't take pictures very well. And now in, everything's so visual. That was hard for me when the food had to have pretty pictures. Um, oh, so right, right. Yeah, Especially learned- with Instagram coming and like all these really cool cameras that everybody else was using and just yeah. to try and keep up. Sometimes it's hard. It is. I'm still not that good at it. So I've learned really to rest on my team. And so one, I, for me, a big takeaway to share with other entrepreneurs is to hire mission-minded people before professionals. And that's just what worked for me. But I learned through experience and through failure that I really wanted to work with mostly women. I mean, it doesn't matter. It could be men, but mostly women who are moms who have the same mission as me and I can train the skills. So we start with the passion and we train, I can teach people what to do. And I have an amazing team that I'm so grateful for. And they, they all love working for me and not, I don't say that to, you know, have any lack of humility, but we truly have a well-bonded team and I love them so much. So that's for sure human capital that I'm, I'm standing on their shoulders, any success that I have. But also one of my favorite things is just to connect people together. When I meet someone, I'm like, oh, you know who you need to meet? You need to meet so-and-so. And I'm going to you know, facilitate an e-introduction. I don't think that's a waste of time at all, even though my time is now much more limited because you just never know which connection, which yes, will be the right one. I love getting people on my show to interview who you know, I'm constantly kind of looking for, looking for brilliant minds and looking for people who have something to say to my audience. Well, and then, so I kind of the big story for me of 2020 is I landed a TEDx talk, which Woo. is super cool. And I was really grateful. It was in North Dakota, a sleepy state where no one lives. And it was actually going to happen in person in August, 2020. And nine days before the event, when I was completely prepared and the talk was written and practiced and I'd put hours and months of work into it, it was postponed <laughs> until 2021. So I, you know, heartbreaking because I know you, I, I, you, you were like, nothing else matters right now because I need to nail this because this is a message that needs to be heard. And your message was about kids and cooking and how important that was and mental health related, all, all these issues. And, and, and I was so sad too with you. And then what happened? Well, I had a few days of devastation and was coming to terms with the fact that yeah, like you said, I basically sacrificed six weeks of work and had made decisions to forego other opportunities because this was the one thing, the most important thing I was working on. 
And then I finally remembered to let my speaking coach know what had happened. She immediately replied, this was a Friday night. She replied and said, I think you should still do it. My gut is saying that this talk was written for now and that parents need this message and that you should just record it yourself. (laughs) Outside of the TED event. Right. And I thought, what? Like this is this is an unimaginable idea. I don't even, I couldn't even wrap my brain around it at first. And it took me, I mean, it took me a couple of weeks to think about it. And so I just, instead of making the decision, I just started asking questions. Well, logistically, is this possible? And the very day that I should have been standing on stage, I was standing on a dock videotaping my kids playing in a lake. And I got a call from our local beautiful auditorium that yes, they would love to rent that whole auditorium out to me for very inexpensive COVID pricing because nothing's going on. I thought, okay, check one. I still don't know what to do with this decision because I mean, it's a huge risk, right? To try to put a 15 minute stage talk out there outside of the TED platform. Like I could have wasted all that time. And maybe I still will. I don't know what's going to happen. The story is not over yet, but but I needed to make sure that I could that I needed to mitigate that risk for myself. I am not a big risk taker. I'm a medium risk taker, and so for me, mm-hmm. the more questions I could ask and the more blocks I could get in place, the lower I could get that risk. And so then I had to find a camera crew and ended up figuring out that the local TV station who films in that auditorium all the time was willing to do it again for extremely inexpensive pricing. Like okay, so the financial risk is gone. Now it's just the risk of, well, do I have to rewrite an entire talk next year? So then I started asking all the questions of the TEDx crew in Bismarck, North Dakota. And they said, no, you don't have to have a completely different talk. Like just tweak a few parts. I thought, really? (laughs) That's incredible. That's that's surprising, actually. I know. I thought so too. And that's the value of asking questions, right? Right. I would have just assumed and then go, okay, well, I have to create something completely new for this, Mm -hmm. but just not do it at all. And I did too. And this was like the third or fourth email exchange in that I finally thought to really clarify that down. So for me, I had mitigated the risk down enough that the last question was, have I built up enough human capital over the years that I could possibly get people to share this outside the TED platform? I hope so. (laughs) I mean, I'm literally going to be like emailing the people from whom I bought the natural makeup that I wore on stage and say, you're part of this story. Let's get on board, you know, and just make everyone like, the hero in the story and be and be part of it as a community starting a kids meal revolution to change the health of the young generation like it it will happen because i'm just going to keep pushing and asking questions i think it will too you know it's a, like this it's almost like you know it would have been cool to have the tedx stage and you still will this story of hey i didn't have this opportunity more i'm going to take it instead i'm going to i'm going to do it on my own almost makes it seem even that much more important and Perhaps it becomes a story that then comes onto the TEDx stage next year and you have like part two, you know, I don't know. And, and, and it might make it even more popular. I know, that's but, my hope that it goes so well, but it's been fraught with problems. In what way? Oh my gosh. So I actually had two other speakers join me who also wanted to do a TEDx or had already done a TEDx, but wanted to own their content. And we had an amazing shoot The kid with three cameras, beautiful stage. And I get a call the next day that one of the cameras did not record. Are you serious? It recorded no, it recorded audio. What? (laughs) So you can make a podcast now, but. (laughs) Yeah, on stage. Um, But it didn't record video for any of us the whole three hours. How does that even happen? That's what I wanted to know. (laughs) Okay, so so what, what do you do next? Well, 
So of course I asked questions. Well, can we do it again? They said, sure, if you want to. So we did it again. One person wasn't able to come back. So that's very sad. She has nothing. (laughs) Um, But the other guy and I came back. We did another amazing evening. And luckily the camera that didn't work Mm -hmm. again, Pat, after they tested it in between, it did not record again. But luckily it was moved to the very, very, very wide shot only needed when we're showing like a teeny tiny person with slides. Uh-huh. So we still, we're still, I'm right now when we're recording, we're in the middle of this story as I'm trying to figure out, do I go record one more time and just do the real right? shot? It's like, hmm, is this a sign that I shouldn't be doing this? Or is this a test that it'll like be worth it on the other end? Like, how do we know? It's a really good story. If I'm a story collector, I'm A plus right now because I've got a couple of zingers. <laughs> We're and you are a great storyteller, so you're collecting. Yeah. I, I like that that sort of thought. So, of course, the world of entrepreneurship, as we've heard in, in these stories here, Katie, and as we all know as listeners, is just never going to be going according to plan. And, of course, I know with the dual businesses that you have, things often don't go according to plan, too. But part of what makes us unique as entrepreneurs and part of what helps us succeed is the pivoting that we do. And I know that you are looking at different avenues and ways to sort of expand your business. Can you go into some of what you might be thinking about for the future in terms of how to expand Kids Cook Real Food and Kitchen Stewardship and, and revenue generation and all these sorts of things that you're thinking about in today's environment? Yeah. I mean, it's been a huge blessing to serve so many families throughout this year and throughout the pandemic. Hopefully we get to, we'll come back to summer camp real quick after I answer this question, because that was a big deal. But now that I've been doing this 11 years and I'm not selling painted rocks or, you know, colorful paper bows anymore, I realized I actually do know a thing or two about entrepreneurship. I do know, do know a thing or two about online marketing. Um, and so my my teacher heart is sort of starting to swell again with wanting to teach in a different way. I'm ready to teach what I've learned the last 11 years. I've been in probably five or six different masterminds from, you know, ones that are just online and I've never met half the women in it, but we've been together eight years to, you know, big paid masterminds. And and so I feel like I've, I've gained enough experience at this point, enough stories, enough things that I've tried. When I ask the women in my mastermind, what do you, like, if you say, well, this is what Katie's good at. Uh, they all said something different, actually. Similar, a little bit similar ideas, but um, none of them said the same thing. And I thought, well, maybe that's good. Maybe that means I have enough random breadth of experience in all areas from, you know, PR to copywriting to marketing and sales that that I can actually help other people do this. So I'm I'm looking to do a little bit of coaching and looking to start teaching people how to run masterminds really well so that they too can take advantage of human capital because there's so much there's so much wisdom out there for people to just help one another out and I want to be able to facilitate that for sure I mean I love what you said earlier about this idea of being a connector right and I think that's mm-hmm. a very powerful unique selling proposition for sure for especially for people who feel so disconnected and I love the idea of you coming into the space to help people get connected to help people unlock their best potential through the togetherness and the communities that you are helping to put together which I think is really cool. And I know that you're still in sort of like creation brainstorming mode right now. But by the time people listen to this, there's likely stuff that people may be able to sort of see that you have going on and, and perhaps work with you with. So where might people go who might be interested in learning? Because of course, we have a lot of entrepreneurs here. I've talked loads about mastermind groups. I know this is sort of what you want to focus on. It's become a specialty of yours. Where should people go to maybe get redirected to whatever it is to have available? 
Sure. I mean, for now, we'll say kidscookrealfood.com slash SPI, and I'll promise that anything related to what we're talking about today is there for you, <laughs> but it'll be a secret cool. until you get there. Cool. And, and I'm really excited about that too, Katie. Thank you so much for that. I mean, there's value that comes with, you know, if somebody were to connect me with somebody who had some information that I needed, who had some motivation that I needed, who had some answers for questions that I had, I mean, I would thank that person so much. It is valuable to make connections. Mm -hmm. And I think that we all have the ability to even just listening right now, likely you could probably think of a couple people that would probably benefit from a relationship together. And guess what? You're the connector. You're just not acting on that yet. And I think that it would behoove you to sort of send an email to Mm -hmm. them to have them at least speak to each other. And it just makes me think recently, like I've been getting really into gardening, as you know, because of the pandemic and the kids now actually eating more real food because we're actually growing it in the backyard, which is really cool. And I've been following a YouTube channel called Epic Gardening. And there's a guy named Kevin Espiritu. He actually does live in San Diego, not super close to me, but he does live nearby. And I just had a random idea because I know he's into helping small businesses around here. He's also into, you know, fresh food and and coffee and those sorts of things. There's a coffee shop that I live close to that I'm an investor in and they just love meeting cool people. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to send an email introduction out of the blue. I think it would be a good match. If not, no worries. Again, what do we have to lose? And they're now partnering together. They're doing this really cool partnership that I can't reveal right now, but like that wouldn't have happened. And now they're both reaching out to me and saying, hey, thank you so much for the introduction. Like if there's anything I can do for you, let me know, right? So it's almost like, like you said, serving first by connecting others. And I now have the ability to, if I ever needed some help to to reach out to each of them. And that's just so cool. So I love that. So kidscookrealfood.com slash SPI will redirect you to whatever amazing things Katie has available there for you. To finish up, let's talk about summer school. And summer camp. Uh, During the summer, I know, is an interesting opportunity for your business with kids at home and all these kinds of things. Plus, in the middle of a pandemic, kids at home anyway. Mm -hmm. Tell us what you did in the summer of 2020 to really take advantage of this opportunity and, and show up for people. Yeah, I took what I feel is a pretty big risk, at least for me, as being medium, like a little, medium. <laughs> little mouse, medium, medium speed risk taker. <laughs> Pat, I heard a stat maybe last month that someone said t- two groups of CEOs were in a research study and one group made twice as many decisions, but half of them were wrong. And the other group was really careful about their decisions, but they made half as many decisions. And the group that made twice as many, but broke more stuff was more successful. And I thought, mm. I don't care. I don't want to be that group. That's not me. I would rather be a little more cautious because I'm sure there's a third group of people who made twice as many decisions. Lots of them were wrong and they're burned out and they're bankrupt. And so my little personality can't quite handle that. So this was something I'd thought about for a while is doing a summit style release. Summits being, you know, summits are like, they have all these interviews and they release them for 24 hours and then they go away and they try to get you to buy the interviews. And, and I thought, what if I actually did that with my flagship course? you know, with my bread and butter, my $150 course, what if I gave it away for free? Would this work? And it was, so it was something I had toyed with for a while. And when, you know, we were in lockdown and we realized that summer camps were not opening, parents were starting to freak out. (laughs) They did not know what to do with their kids anymore. And I thought, I'm just going to do it. I don't have time to do it perfectly because we were, I mean, we were just like brainstorming and May thinking this has to be June or else because while we were hoping the world would get put back together by July or August optimistically. And so I did it without the backing of most of my affiliates, did it without most of my normal 
human capital because I didn't have time to set that up. But because it was a big risk, because it was, and so again, we have 40 video classes professionally filmed and we did five a day in 24-hour cycles and then they would flip and they would disappear. But if you were diligent and you kept up with that, you know, breakneck speed, eight-day pace, you could literally consume a $150 class completely free. So that was, you know, that was a risk on me losing potential customers. But because it was such a big gift, people were willing to share that. So on our, we incorporated viral sharing. So after you signed up, you were asked to share on Facebook with a friend or, you know, with your Facebook community to win like a $50 grocery gift card. We had over a thousand shares on that post, which in this Facebook landscape with my Facebook page is amazing. It's like unheard of. Yeah. 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 So we ended up with over 10,000 families signed up for our free summer camp all around the world. And it felt really good. It was so exciting. We did live sessions every single day. And I know that some people actually did consume a $150 course in eight days because I talked to some of them. I mean, Michelle in Panama, in Panama, they were locked. The kids could not leave their house except to go for a half mile walk or bike ride with an adult the entire month. So they were, they were stuck with each other. They could have been, you know, sick of each other. But I really respect that they shifted that paradigm and they were really grateful to have cooking together you know, something to do. Similarly in Hawaii, a family who had military family who had to move to Hawaii. And in June, if you went to Hawaii, you had to get a one-time use key and go into your hotel room and you couldn't leave for two weeks or you wouldn't be able to get back in. Like you can't even go to the hotel pool. You couldn't do anything. So this family of four is stuck in quarantine in a hotel room for 14 days and was able to get groceries delivered and still do our class and have this like productive quality wow. family time. So I felt, I felt so good about being able to serve them. Like I don't care, take my $150 class. Like you are the people who need it. I felt really good that we could serve generously during that time where people really did need something to do. But also it was a good, it was a good end up being a good business decision. Obviously 10,000 people added to one's list is nothing to sneeze at. And we were able to get enough paid members on board that it was a very good promotion business-wise, but a huge risk, huge risk of my team's time of giving away my product, but a fun one. So that's, I think that's, again, my takeaway for entrepreneurs is like, if you're going to innovate, innovate creatively, like do something other people aren't doing and, and mitigate those risks, but figure out, figure out ways to innovate really authentically where it's, you know, you can, you can do it all. You can serve and profit at the same time. Mm. What a wonderful lesson to end on here, Katie. And it's so cool, especially having it both serve more people and bring you more money in. Because honestly, the more you serve, the more you get back. And I, I love how you you frame that. So people did end up buying it later because they weren't able to keep up kind of thing. Like what, what was the purchase offer or purchase opportunity there? Sure, we had two different coupons. And so the early bird special ended the midnight of day one of the eight day camp. So people had enough, you know, you could kind of get a taste, taste right, right. a bigger coupon. And then if you purchased by like three days after camp closed, there was a smaller coupon. And interestingly enough, I actually thought we would get more at the very end of people who couldn't keep up, but enough people were just ready to jump in. We actually brought on more paid members with the early bird, but both were good. Wow. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Sometimes we have these courses and we just need to give people like a Costco size sample first to get experience. And then they go, okay, now I'm in, I want the whole thing. And then you drop them with the opportunity to save, man, that's, that, that makes perfect sense. So, wow, Katie, wonderful job and way to pivot. And it sounds like you're going to do something perhaps similar or try to maybe 
incorporate that same strategy down the road? Or is this going to be now maybe an annual thing, you think? You know, so here's the thing. You can't do that every year or else people will follow you and be like, well, I'll just do the free summer camp next year. So yeah, when we did a retrospective with my team, I thought, oh, I said, this went so well, but we literally can't possibly do it again until at least 2022 or it will become an expected habit. So we have to take, we have to try to take little pieces out of what worked. So we're trying to suss out like, what was it that made that viral sharing go so well? And how can we incorporate that element, you know, into our other promotions? Because I've never done anything like that. I've never given people full access. So that's sort of our next little experiment is at the end of a webinar, we're just going to give people full access for a couple days. And so with my product, it's so different because you have to do it with your kids, right? So right. if I gave you some videos that you needed to watch by yourself sitting at your computer, Pat, you could do that at midnight. And I know you would at midnight, but with your kids in the kitchen, you can't, you have to have the food, you have to have the children. And so it's really, really difficult sometimes for people to coordinate logistically. So I've learned like, don't give people the free sample and say, here, try this with your kids, but we're going to let this, we haven't even done it yet next week. We will actually, um, but we're going to let people in completely to see the entire course. So they could teach it with their kids if they wanted, but the goal is going to be, Hey, look around get a feel, look at the recipes, see if you think they'd work, check out the quality of what we do, you know, and just sort of like window shopping. So hopefully, fingers crossed, I don't, I don't know if that will work, but that's our next uh, little experiment to try to take an element of what was successful about summer camp and apply it elsewhere. I love it. I like the experimentation, the trial, the errors that may happen, and then the learnings that can come with that. I think if it was some sort of event like reason to then get with your kids to get the groceries and to sit down and do it, that's what would motivate me as a, as a parent in the summer camp session. And then here you're potentially targeting a whole new audience who kind of wants to get the window shopping in first too. So, you know, both could work. And I love how you're sort of kind of diversifying your approach. So that's, that's really great. We'll have to bring you back on at some point to check in on you and see how things are going or at least have people follow you to see what's going on. Where can people go and follow your journey and, and check out what you have going on? Sure. Kidscookgrowthfood.com is, is the home of the cooking classes. If you actually want to learn more about health and nutrition for yourself and your family, that's kitchenstewardship.com. Instagram is probably where I'm most personal as far as social media channels at kidscookgrowthfood. And we'll have that kidscookgrowthfood.com slash SPI certainly something fun there for you, but time will see what it is. I've, I've got two, I've got two first clients for coaching. So now awesome. I have to well dial in on what my masterful genius place is. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have some time to even validate and test things and then come up with something great. By the time people go to, again, kidscookrealfood.com slash SPI. And of course, we'll have all the links on the show notes and such. Katie, thank you so much for coming on today. The beautiful storytelling, the inspiration, and the ideas for how we can make our future better as well. We, we appreciate you so much. Me too, Pat. Thanks for uh, sharing all the medium speed decisions with the risk-averse entrepreneurs out there. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation and interview with Katie Kimball. Again, you can find her at kidscookrealfood.com slash SPI to check out what she has going on, some stuff related to what we talked about today, perhaps even her TED video once it comes out and finally the recording is done the way it was supposed to. Isn't that crazy? Like sometimes just the world... It seems like everything's working against you. And I, you can just tell that Katie really wants this to happen and it's gonna work and a lot of people are gonna see it and need to see it. So again, kidscookrealfood.com slash SPI and of course, kitchenstewardship.com as well. 
Thank you, Katie, for coming on today. And thank you for listening all the way through. I appreciate you. Big thanks to all of you who have left some reviews for the Smart Passive Income Podcast on Apple Podcasts here early on in the year. And hey, we're just getting started. 2021 is gonna be amazing. And we already have some interviews lined up for you and some solo shows. So please, if you haven't done so already, wherever you're listening to this, hit that subscribe button so you can get more of these episodes directly your way as soon as they come out. So you don't miss anything and you can get the best advice here to help you move forward and sell and serve at the same time. So cheers. Be sure to catch next week's episode 458 because we're inviting a special guest on. This is the first time we've ever done this after 450 some odd episodes. We've awarded a spot on the Smart Passive Income podcast to a special member in SPI Pro, our premium community. You can check it out at smartpassiveincome.com slash pro. This member won a pitch contest and she's gonna come on, pitches her business and we're gonna talk all about her business and she's amazing. You're gonna love her and I cannot wait for you to listen in. So hit that subscribe button. I'll see you next week. Cheers and as always, Team Flynn for the win. Peace out. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI. And today, I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point, so I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray, and in it, they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat-out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure and it always finds a bright side. I really love it and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it.